Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 3, Legacy is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about Mr. Robot here. I am Josh Wiggler, and I know it sounds inconceivable, but my co-host really is indeed Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? Josh, wait till I get going. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice to talk to you. This is a, a real blessing. I'm so pleased that uh, we had to talk about this episode. There are some things that I have been waiting with bated breath to talk about for sure. Something story, Josh, that we've been waiting for seasons, multiple seasons on. So this is a big one for us. Yeah, we're finally getting to discuss what happened to Tyrell Wellick in the time between his disappearance at the end of season one and his reappearance at the end of season two. This is a flashback episode we are dealing here with in season three, episode three. Uh, that's pretty exciting. I feel like not everyone is as excited about it as I am. I really liked this episode and I am psyched to have this Tyrell Wellick uh, sidebar. I'm very good with this. I've wanted to know what's going on with this character. Some of the critical reaction I'm seeing is like, just okay. What are you seeing, Antonio? And how do you feel about this episode? I'm seeing what you're seeing, of course, but I feel the same way as you. Look, for me personally, I don't think we can have it uh, both ways. Uh, We can't, out of one side of our mouth, say, well, they never said what happened on the the night of the hack, and And then out of the other side of our mouth say, well, they can't devote a whole episode to giving us answers. We're getting answers, Josh. We're filling in blanks. We're closing story loops. I don't think in any circumstance we should complain about that. I understand in terms of the forward momentum of the show, what we had seen from the previous couple of episodes of this season. Season is season three. It's a monster. But I think this is an important this is important ground we have to cover before we proceed. And I do wonder I I do wonder about the where Tyrell will be in the story. And we'll talk about that in this podcast going forward. But I think without that, I do think we needed to fill in these blanks before we could make any more progress with this character, with this story and over the course of this season. So I'm happy we did that before. I mean, maybe we could have done some of it last season. I would have been fine with that as we talked about extensively. But I'm glad we're doing it i'd rather do it than not do it josh yeah and especially if it's you know this early in the season too you know it's episode three of a 10 episode season uh can't imagine that there's going to be too many other flashback opportunities for episodes later on so my guess would be that we'll be you know full-blown uh elliot alderson storyline from here on out and now we have clarification on what tyrell is all about and what his headspace is like and what life was like for him while he was away on the compound i mean i do think that this is like i think some of the backlash that some people have um expressed towards this episode i do think is a side effect of withholding the character for so long of keeping tyrell on the sidelines for so long your mileage can and will vary as to whether or not that was worth it uh keeping tyrell away from the action for as long as the show chose to do in season two for me i'm good i really like the answers that we're getting here martin wallstrom is a phenomenal actor it's very cool to see very different sides of tyrell full beard tyrell yeah, it takes, into a, it, takes, a while, it. takes a while to grow a beard that beautiful, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, that's eight weeks of growth, according to Martin Wallstrom, as well, is, he uh, as he that, spoke to me. Is that what you would have after eight weeks? No, no. I, I'm in full nerd right now. And this is like I'm like a month and a half into it. And it's pathetic, dude. Like, <laughs> I just I can't bear to like part with it yet because it kind of feels like it's getting beardy. And I don't want to turn my back on it. But I know that I should turn my back on it. I just can't do it yet. I'm Getting not there. Getting beardy in here. Does the neared come paired with a crustache? 
No. Well, no. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm in full crust ash. <laughs> That's full good. crust ash That's right good. now. It's we're a, getting it's off a, track. We're getting off. It's track. a bad look. We're getting off track. Yeah. Let's get. Let's get this thing on track. We'll give you a little bit of business up front, as we always do. This is the Mr. Robot Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. If you are not subscribed already, we encourage you to do so. We talk about Mr. Robot every single week with deep dive analysis and lots of sharp insight, like talking about Meneered. Please subscribe. PostShowRecaps.com/robot <laughs> is the way to do that. We would love your reviews, your ratings. Keep it honest. We would love all of that. We are also uh, partnered up with The Hollywood Reporter, my home base, for these podcasts. We are covering all sorts of things, Mr. Robot, on THR this season. Nightly interviews. And by nightly interviews, I mean weekly interviews after Wednesday night episodes of Mr. Robot, as well as Thursday columns with Cora Adana, one of the great writer-producers of Mr. Robot. Always a deep dive into every episode with Core. Really fantastic stuff. If you're a Mr. Robot fan, I don't think that you want to miss those columns uh and then these podcasts dropping on fridays every friday as the mr robot season proceeds apace anything that i've left out antonio no i like the business up front because that means there's a party in the back this is great yeah, yeah no yeah. uh thanks everyone who has subscribed postshowrecaps.com slash robot you could also leave us a review on itunes we certainly appreciate your honest reviews and star ratings there but yeah josh your coverage is awesome you're you're getting great you're getting great insight into the the song choices, the way scenes were originally conceived, the acting choices. You're hearing from a lot of different people involved. I've just really, as a fan of Mr. Robot, I'm not sucking kneecaps here. I really enjoyed your coverage. So I'm happy to be a small part of that with this podcast. And I do think it's interesting that people have some backlash about this episode. Like I said, I I just, I don't get why we could complain that they kept the character on the sidelines and then they give us the character front and forward and we're complaining still about what? That they kept him on the sidelines? I understand people didn't like some things in season two. I think when an episode like this is so good, Josh, I think it's time to put that to bed, move on, focus on the things that are going right with the show. And there was a lot going right in this episode, character, performance, uh, editing, just the, the way it was scored, the way it was shot, the way it sounded, the way it looked. It's fantastic. One of the things, uh, one of the interviews that I did this week was with Martin Wallstrom uh, to talk about the work that he did in this episode as Tyrell and kind of as the prelude to that interview, I drew in some quotes from Sam Esmail, creator of the show, of course. And he talked about how this is one of his favorite episodes of the series. Uh, I believe he said that this is his favorite episode of the season. So this is clearly a personal favorite among the Mr. Robot team. Uh, I, I think, you know, obviously a matter of personal taste. And I think that people are going to have their own very different opinions on which episodes are their favorite as the show moves forward. But Esmail, very proud of this episode. I think rightfully so. Um, and one of the things that he said was really interesting to me. He talked about how one of the things that Mr. Robot likes to do in terms of its storytelling is they like to reframe pictures. You know, like they like to show you something, then pull the lens back and show you that thing in a new way and completely recontextualize and reframe what we knew about a scene and do that ad infinitum potentially, you know, like really rinse and repeat. And we started talking about that as a possible idea in the last podcast as we talked about Elliot and the snowman and Kevin McAllister and how that kind of gave us a sense that there's got to be even more to the story of that fateful day where Elliot broke his arm. And it feels like maybe that is an origin point for the Mr. Robot personality. Uh, and to take that idea and apply it to a scene that involves Elliot, but is much 
more fundamentally important to Tyrell Wellick is we are once again starting this episode. We are once again returning to the night of five nine of the five nine hack, and we have you know thought a lot about this night. Uh, we had thought for a period of time that perhaps Elliot did indeed kill Tyrell Wellick on this evening. There was a bullet casing that was found at the F Society headquarters in Coney Island. Uh, so there had been no explanation for that until this week's episode. We already know that Tyrell is alive, but how to explain the bullet and the lens is pulled back in this scene, in this very first scene of the episode. And if not for an act of God, Antonio, right. uh, you know, Elliot would have shot and killed Tyrell Wellick here. Uh, the bullet jams up, basically. And uh, we later learned that the gun would have um, exploded in Elliot's hand if he had tried to pull the trigger again. But Tyrell, who is it's a great moment between the two where he gets to have like that guttural or guttural uh, reaction <laughs> as Elliot is pulling the trigger. Elliot as Mr. Robot. So Christian Slater is about to pull the trigger and you get to have like that final like, no, don't do it just as he's pulling the trigger. And then this maniacal laugh as he realizes that they are destined to be together. Don't you see the hands of fate are preventing you from killing me? We are meant to work together, Antonio. So I just I love the way that they uh, that the writers uh, and Sam Esmail leading that room chose to recontextualize the night of the five nine hack. And really, I thought, um, you know, they, they pulled the trigger on pulling the trigger. You know, they really gave us uh, the best of both worlds of. Yeah, Mr. Robot was straight up going to kill Tyrell Wellick. And if not for this divine act, quote unquote, if not for this coincidence, and you know there are no such things as coincidences in White Rose's world, Tyrell would be dead. Uh, exciting. Really fun development. I love this first scene so much. It, it really does. You say recontextualize. I think they've also called it circular storytelling. It really does go back to previous scenes. And we've seen this now multiple times and we've continued to get more information each time where it's execution. Then Elliot's looking at the popcorn and now he's pulling out of the popcorn a gun and not a popcorn gun. We're seeing actually what happens. Josh, to me, that did not look like that would have been Elliot's first murder. Did it look that way to you? There was no hesitation there. Yeah, it does make you think. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely makes you think. Uh, Mr. Robot felt like that was uh, that was like a really quick move yep. for quick Mr. Draw. Robot to pull that out. Like it was really the only hesitation was like to get Tyrell Wellick to stand up and be like just like away enough from the computer so as not to splash blood and brains all over the monitor. Right. Like that was really the only concern. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't no, want the execution to interfere with the execution. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Does feel to me like Elliot probably has blood directly on his hands. Wouldn't be shocked if it played out that way. Or maybe just, you know, with the formation of Mr. Robot, this is like a new, you know, opportunity. It's a first opportunity for Mr. Robot to pull the trigger on somebody. But that aspect of Elliot has no hesitation. I think, you know, as we're talking about the circular storytelling of Mr. Robot, I wouldn't be shocked if we find out somewhere down the line that Elliot has killed before, uh, that we that we will see a moment that reflects that right. uh, but at the, at the very least Elliot super willing to kill here 
Yeah, and certainly willing to kill a person who he feels is a loose end, right? Somebody who knows about what had happened, somebody who is intimately aware of exactly how he did it and what he was doing. He's just told him in that prior scene that we see at the end of season one, I was here, I was there, I was in this place, I was in that place, this is how I executed the hack. He's told Tyrell all, all of that. Tyrell says, well, now it's you and me together. And so Tyrell knows all that. That's why he's a liability. That's why in Mr. Robot's mind, he's got to go. But this act of God and Tyrell's pleading here does influence Mr. Robot or Elliot as Mr. Robot a little bit in that Elliot as Mr. Robot recognizes like after tonight, I might not have much support because he's gone out and executed without the F Society team. He stuck his neck out. Darlene's not there. The other people aren't there. We find out in season two and at the end of season one, especially that the team was a little upset about that, that they they wanted to execute together. Man, I thought we were going to do this together. Romero especially was not too pleased at the end of season one, but he's left his whole team behind there. I think he recognizes that he's going to need some more support for what he's already conceived as stage two. We saw in season two that in the Halloween episode, Elliot was already conceiving about what would need to happen in stage two. We also found out, by the way, in that episode, uh, talking about a little bit about what we were talking about before with Elliot's violence emerging, that before Darlene came back into the story, what ended El- what ended Elliot up in, in mental care, what put him in the care of Krista, was the incident where he was working for a company, locked in the server room. He lost track of time, doesn't know what happened, blacked out. Probably Mr. Robot came out, and he destroyed the server room so we know that elliot has had these moments of violence in the past whether that's led to direct physical violence against another human being i don't know but it certainly looked in this moment like he was ready to close the loose end we saw him similarly pull a gun on romero in season one as Mr. Robot, but we didn't see him pull the trigger on Romero or be ready to pull the trigger like he was here. So that was certainly part of it, but he does seem convinced by Tyrell's plea. Do you think he was moved by this act of God stuff, or was it just that he he had a a moment to think about it and cooler heads prevailed? Why do you think he backed down from his desire to shoot Tyrell here? I think cooler heads prevail, and I think uh, that's both for Mr. Robot and for Tyrell. I mean, the, the head is only cooling momentarily for Tyrell because that dude's loco. Yeah. Not that Mr. Robot isn't. Uh, but I think that this moment where Tyrell, like, he's, you know, he's, he's got his maniacal laugh going on, and he is talking about how we're going to be gods and everything like that. Uh, but what he is, what he is saying is, you know, he's, he's talking sense in terms of his utility in the stage two plan that you're going to need me that I have the access to E-Corp like I know the ins and outs of how that works I know what these next stage what the next stage involves I know what you're going to need and the only person that's really going to give you what you need is me so don't you see like we really do actually need each other Uh, and I think Mr. Robot I think he feels like this guy is devoted to me. Uh, he has just miraculously survived and he happens to be here and he's talking some sense and maybe he is my kind of crazy. Maybe he's right. a moldable crazy. That's the other part of it is he's talking some nonsense and it's just the kind of crazy robot says that might be able to protect me from me. And I think that's interesting that robot thinks it takes a, a special kind of crazy to protect him from himself, considering what 
what we know about Angela, who is now the quote unquote protector and who is now at least on some level working with Elliot for Elliot, but also against Elliot, that, that he thinks it takes a special kind of crazy to do that. And certainly we know Tyrell qualifies. Ty- Tyrell is willing to shoot Elliot as we later find out or see seemingly with the circular storytelling as we earlier find out. But yeah, this is a special kind of crazy. I mean, the guy Tyrell, Josh, or as some people call him, Tyrell, uh, Tyrell takes the gun, puts it to his forehead and says, pull the trigger. I'm really surprised, Josh, knowing what we know about Tyrell's feelings for Elliot, that he didn't just put the gun in his mouth. Oh, stop, stop, stop. Come on. No, I mean, I'm I'm serious. Like, I'm that's imagery that I'm wondering if they ever discussed in the writer's room. Like, that's a thing where just immediately after this, Tyrell says to Mr. Robot, Elliot, I I love you. And he's cut off, right? Some things are better left to the subtext. Maybe that's why we didn't get it, because it's better to just have the subtext of the gun. Yeah, I think that that would be. Uh, I'm not going uh, full bloom here, Josh. I'm really. It's, not. it's close. It's close. It's close. Just it's interesting. Like it's just an super, interesting image that was left out. Super text. Super text is where that was yes. going to go. Uh, but yeah, so Tyrell is willing to be shot to smithereens if if so if that's what the gods decide. Uh, and Elliot chooses to let him live. Mister Robot chooses to let him live and basically take him up on his offer to take this thing to the next level. The next level being stage two. Just one problem in in walks the dark army in walks irving and we are uh we're finally getting to see that yeah this is indeed the guy that has kept tyrell out of harm's way for the past little while uh put that put that on the dash eh yeah, put that on the dash. Yeah, yeah. This is Irving is great, and he's equal part salesman and menace, right? When he comes in, and he's like, "I wouldn't." When he looks at the gun, and it's Bobby Cannavale just really having a, a feast every time he's on screen. I love this, and this is a great episode for this character for sure. Great moment here, of course, when he's outside the uh, the arcade when he's first coming in, talking to the Dark Army guys, like, "Oh, we're just gonna like they're at construction workers at a lunch break when they're about to pull guns out and menace people and." Hand Handle the aftermath of one of the biggest crimes in the in world history, and he's just talking to him about the Pontiac that he sold him. He's so offhanded and so salesmanlike, and he's using phrases like uh, "went sloppy joes" and things like that, and things like that. So I think that's really funny uh, that we get Irving coming into this scene, both being a menace and being a, a charmer, a charismatic guy. We know Josh now where that spent shell casing was from, and we know why the car was parked in the parking lot when Elliot wakes up after the hack when he's lost the three days and he wakes up in Tyrell's SUV. We know we now know it was Mr. Robot likely who drove it there and parked it there. But Josh, we don't know some things still speaking of circular storytelling. We don't know why Joanna Wellick was paying that parking attendant. We don't know who put her in the mix to do that. Even though Irving sends Elliot away with the car, we don't know how that USB drive ended up in the sunglasses holder in the pair of sunglasses that ended up having the video of Elliot at the boardwalk fail, uh, jump, jumping off the pier by himself and really waking Elliot up to the fact that, that he, this was going on all along. We don't know who did all those things or why. So there is still some information missing here. We're going to go back to this night again, I have a feeling, Josh, before this is all said and done. 
I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But yeah, I think that those are definitely some loose ends that are still hanging out there. Uh, yeah, this is a great scene where Irving is basically taking control of the situation. And like you said, just like his choice of words, like talking about, uh, you know, his, his really lame Swedish fish joke oh, and yeah. everything. Like, fish. Uh, just like his, like, uh, the, the intentional mispronunciation of Gideon Goddard. Uh, and I mean intentional in terms of the performance, I'm sure that Irving would get this wrong. Gideon Goddard. Gideon Goddard, Goddard, yeah. Yeah, like that. There's just like really great choices that are being made in this performance. Uh, And cool to see Irving brought into the story in this way. I think that's another thing that this episode accomplishes. I think this episode is rightfully going to be remembered as a Tyrell episode, but it is also a great Irving episode where we get to see that character on his own a couple of times and we get to see how this character has been drawn into the five hack and the the plans that have been spawned ever since that event uh and to see what irving was involved with in that and it's great it's it's a really really great use of this character it's a great use of bobby cannavale uh and it takes a minute for tyrell to like fully realize that he's effed up yeah he's been uh, and- basically you know, he is he is going to be the most wanted person alive pretty much since Bin Laden, as you say. Uh, and just the look of like realization that is dawning upon his face. Uh, it's really spectacular. Like just like you can you can almost like feel through the screen just how cold his stomach must be in that moment. Yeah. And it what's great about that is and the the character of Irving himself fits in this organic way as well is I think that this is an organic evolution for the character. If we track Tyrell back to season one, when the events of this this hack and the execution and the aftermath actually are occurring, we remember Tyrell was this really tightly wound executive. He was all about becoming the youngest executive in E Corp. And he was slapping himself in the face and telling himself not to be a cold robot and beating paying homeless people so he could beat them up and willing to go to great lengths, Josh, to obtain information that was necessary and needed. And that all spiraled out of control. When you're that tightly wound, bad things can happen. And we saw that culminate with the murder of Sharon Knowles. And then that in and of itself is going on while he is talking to Elliot. And we saw in season two, the extended sequence where he breaks down and talks, talks to Elliot about the red wheelbarrow poem and mentions that it was the only English his father knew. And he doesn't want to be like his father. And all of this is is part of the evolution of this character. And you're right. In this scene, we see more of that from Martin Wallstrom in terms of his facial reactions and the way that he's recognizing the situation that he's in. And it's great. I mean, it is it fits really well with where that character has been. uh, And it is occurring at that time, but it is occurring much later in the series history. So it's 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 interesting to be reminded of where Tyrell was at that time. Because I think we see that play out over the course of this episode, his madness, where that madness can take him, how that madness is fed or kept at bay uh, becomes a central part of this episode. And that was a main part of his arc in season one. So it's fascinating to revisit that in a small way in one scene where it breaks out over his face and then in a larger way in this episode, for sure. So Tyrell 
where was he during seasons one uh, finale and seasons two finale? Uh, it turns out that he was in our favorite place, Antonio. Who could have guessed it? Who could have guessed it? Upstate <laughs> New York. <laughs> Spectacular. Uh, uh, do we just have to go quiet and not talk about the rest of this episode? Isn't that our rule? Yeah. Uh, is it Typically. upstate New York? If you're talking about like the eerie Pennsylvania corner of New York, I know that people from Manhattan call everywhere else in the state upstate, but it's more like left state New York, isn't it? Left state. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where he was. I wasn't paying like incredibly close attention to this. I have to be honest. It's not impossible. He's in New Jersey somewhere. New Jersey. Certainly, you know, thematically that would fit. Could be in Pennsylvania. Could be in Massachusetts. He's somewhere not far away is the I point. I believe that on the police officer's uniform, uh, it says Stanford on his, like on his, uh, on his badge, which as if I look that that township is is pretty close by. But I don't know if that's Stanford or Stanford. I don't know 100 percent where that is. So your mileage may vary on if we're talking about the Erie, Pennsylvania area or if we're talking about very close to Manhattan, not far away. But it's certainly driving distance for certain characters, as we're going to see throughout this episode. So it's not I don't think it's a six hour haul or anything like that. It's it's pretty Stanford, close by. Stanford, New York in Dutchess County, not far away from where yours Truly attended summer camp uh, happens to be decently close to a town called Sharon. Oh, Sharon uh, Knowles, New York. Yeah, how about that? Uh, is it anywhere near Cairo? No, I don't think it's anywhere near. <laughs> That's Cairo. good. Then. We don't need to talk about it. Love the credits uh, on this episode. Always love the credits Oops. on Mister Robot. Love that the credits are a direct homage to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, one of many references to The Shining in this episode. Uh, as I mentioned to Cora Adana, who gave me a lot of different shoutouts to The Shining in our weekly Cracking the Code column up on THR. Uh, that I love that there is sort of this uh, all work and no play quality to Tyrell in this episode. That you definitely get. Get the sense that he is going the way of Jack Torrance, which is to say losing his mind, which is to say what's losing what's left of his mind at this point. Uh, and he is going to be isolated in this compound uh, where he wants to get his gun back for safety, uh, but he doesn't need that. The All the safety in the world he needs is to just stay exactly where he is, really pointing out the fact that the Dark Army has serious influence. They have 37 acres owning, uh, they own 37 acres surrounding this compound. It is fully loaded up with security measures. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out without notice, I guess. Uh, and Tyrell, if he wants to be safe, just stay put. That's the rule. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, is a rule that he later violates, obviously. And I'm now seeing in my notes, I also wrote Stockton, New York. So I'm really not sure uh, what town it was. But either way, uh, it's in driving distance. And yeah, it sounds like the Dark Army has this compound there. Sounds a lot like a prison, Josh, if you want my opinion. What do you make of the coincidence that uh, Elliot and Tyrell were essentially in prison at the same time in different prison-like scenarios on their own, dealing with their own thing at the same time? I know we talked a lot about people's Tyrellian theories and about whether they were part of the same whole. That's clearly not the case, at least overtly. They're not a manifestation of one another, uh, but they do seem to be connected in this eerie way. The Tyrell observes through the gunshot and through we're supposed to be gods together. I always felt a connection to you. And yeah, it, Tyrell is in this prison-like scenario where everyone's being watched and there's there are all these wrought iron things and things that Irving describes here at the same time that Elliot himself is in prison. Do you make of any anything other than the thematic uh, similarity there? 
nothing other than the thematic similarity, but great thematic similarity. You know, it's it's really it's really cool to see that this whole time that Elliot was incarcerated and wondering what was going on with Tyrell, wondering if Tyrell was even alive, uh, that Tyrell was incarcerated and wondering what was going on with Elliot. And one of the really genius things this episode does, and we're fast forwarding just a little bit here, is when Tyrell uh, gets to have that phone call with Elliot that we've already seen from Elliot's perspective and we get to see it from Tyrell's perspective in this episode and the whole bonsoir Elliot sounded so menacing and ominous when we heard it from Elliot's perspective and when we see it from Tyrell's perspective like he's not feeling great about what he's getting from Elliot on the other side of the line like there is a genuine sense of like confusion and frustration that is happening with this character who sounded like he was completely put together like he truly was the god that he was boasting to be on that on that phone call uh so i i like it on a thematic level that it turns out that Throughout this entire time that we felt like Tyrell was just like concocting master plans in secret, he was actually just as lost as Elliot and, you know, just as locked down as Elliot in many ways. And certainly needing Elliot more than Elliot needed Tyrell. Elliot needed to know that Tyrell was alive and what happened to Tyrell, but he didn't need to know because he was concerned particularly about Tyrell specifically. He was more concerned about what he might have done when he lost time. Did I murder Tyrell? Where valid is he? Concern. Yeah, valid, valid concern. Valid concern. Considering what we saw, he <laughs> almost did and what he certainly wanted to do. Uh, but yeah, not that's what he was concerned about. Whereas Tyrell's concern is much different. And I don't want to skip ahead. I'd rather circle back because in that scene where Irving is talking about, well, this is where you are, kind of stay put. He says to Tyrell, Listen, if you if you absolutely have to contact your wife, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way. And Tyrell says, well, no, no, we, you know, we got to figure we got to focus on what we're doing. I don't need to contact her. We got to do deal with what we're dealing with. But he does need to contact Elliot. He's desperate to talk to Elliot. He's upset when it goes wrong. And the juxtaposition of those two things and those two influences in his life are significant to me because here's a person who, who feels like he doesn't need to contact. It's all right. I'll, I'll avoid talking to my wife for the mission but where's bay where's elliot where's my boy where's the person that i'm most desperate to talk to uh, and i think that's fascinating to see play out this is a tyrell episode but it is about the relationship that tyrell and elliot have specifically from tyrell's point of view and I do like the when we talk about the prison thing after Irving has described the place that he's in, we do immediately see the scene again, Josh, of the knock on Elliot's door, how season one ended. And we see Elliot getting arrested. So we're reminded that Elliot went to prison at this same time, that it was three days later that these things had happened where while Tyrell is is putting himself together upstate and saying, I'm not going to call my wife. And, and Irving is saying, you're protected here. Elliot is going to jail. And there's there's a person that's uh, observing this from afar, Josh. Yeah, this is cool. We get to see um, Minister Zhang or White Rose, if you prefer. Uh, and I White Rose if you're nasty. You know, she very much prefers White Rose, but in this moment, posing as Zhang, uh, is learning about what happened to Elliot, is very, very tickled once, uh, once White Rose discovers <laughs> that Elliot is in prison for stealing a dog. That is a great BD Wong moment. BD yes. Wong had just has such a great expressive face. And to see that, you know, like normally I think of BD Wong as somebody who is playing sympathetic characters, likable characters, people that you root for. Uh, 
so this is a little bit of a different turn than I'm used to with BD Wong playing such a super villain type. At least, uh, well, you know, the the jury is out on where where her morality stands ultimately, where White Rose's morality stands. Though I'm not feeling great about the yeah, MAGA dude. of it all. What so, morality, Josh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I just I think like to see like that kind of like sincere laugh is like that's like a crack of like the good hearted BD Wong that I'm seeing there. So it's just a little bit of a fourth wall breaking moment for me. Um, but also, you know, once again, breaking the fourth wall here with the Trump of it all, where we are going to see Zhang and Frank Cody, uh, Frank Cody, the Alex Jones type on this show, uh, meeting up in wherever this like secret far away getaway <laughs> is that White Rose has at her disposal. This place is uh, this. This is fancy. Yeah, it's it's an island that doesn't show up on Google Maps. It's a four hour flight from New York. Is it Iceland, Josh? Like your mileage may vary on where this place is, but it's Bonville in status. It's an unmarked island where White Rose is living, and White Rose has a mouthpiece that we're now finding out is a person who we've seen in the context of the background of this show a lot. We saw Frank Cody for the first time in a live shot last episode when he was doing the sit-down interview with Joanna Wellick, but we saw him throughout season two, especially in the background, and his rants that we saw on TV were about the sorts of things that, that are going on in, in behind the scenes about the power taking from the power and really meant to rile people up in a certain type of way for whatever purpose we, we may, we may find out our more nefarious directed purpose. But at the time, I'm not sure we really assigned a ton of value to that. So when we talk about circular storytelling and Mr. Robot, now, if we were to go back and watch season two to think about the words that are coming out of Frank Cody's mouth as the minister Zhang slash white rose approved script to stick to about the hack it's very interesting and it'll be it'll make those scenes worth watching again from that perspective because frank cody even back to the smart house with madam executioner who he was the voice that was showing up on her tv and playing when she couldn't turn it off and he's he's present throughout season two so it'll be it'll be fascinating to go back and watch those again and yeah he's under the the control of white rose uh, slash minister zhang uh minister zhang gives him some very specific marching orders some frog marching orders uh some goose stepping orders when he's talking about let's blame it on iran first of all we're going to put f society's origins in iran and that'll be easy frank cody says and we're going to bla- we're going to try to repair tyrell wellick's image and frank cody says well that'll be easy if obama is against him because people love railing against obama we saw of course at the beginning of season two uh president obama directly saying like tyrell wellick is responsible and we need to find this guy uh, i don't know that we've seen a ton of the wellick image repair going on on the show although that may be part of why joanna wellick was on the Frank Cody show to begin with was the Wellick image repair. So that's part of it as well. And then, yes, we have this presidential backing moment where White Rose says, like, if you want to, uh, if you, if you have, if you pull the right strings, a puppet will dance however you want. Josh, I know this is a real hot button for the show. Do you have anything that you want to weigh in or say about this particular thing? I, this might have triggered you more than it triggered me. I know that it's triggered many of the people in the audience one way or the other. No, I think it's interesting that Mr. Robot as his TV series is directly standing up and like, you know, 
putting uh, putting Donald Trump on the side of the anaconda snakes, as it were, you know, and really, you know, having 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 White Rose really call, you know, call it out in a meta way of like, I want this guy to be the person that you are starting to, you know, build support for makes you wonder um, just in terms of like, you know, getting away from like any personal feelings about it, which for me, I think are pretty clear. Uh, I, I do wonder about like, what is this doing on a narrative level, uh, on a storytelling level of why are we including uh, Trump in the narrative? Why does White Rose want Donald Trump to be elected president of the United States? Does White Rose know something that we don't at this moment in 2015 in the universe of Mr. Robot? White Rose, who may or may not be able to bend time, perhaps, or peek into parallel universes, perhaps. Like, is there anything going on there where White Rose has a little bit of an inkling of where politics are going that the others around him uh, do not have at this moment in time. So It's interesting. I didn't think it, about that. Interesting. Just food for thought. Uh, curious to see where it goes. Uh, for many reasons, White Rose definitely coming across as uh, of in, in the supervillain mold. I know that you've been talking about this as sort of like a Bond villain type. Uh, and I think that there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, you, know, you yeah. don't have to consider the politics of it because, of course, the Trump campaign wouldn't have known that this person, at least so far as we know at this time, wouldn't have known that this person was uh, was really instigating or machinating on their behalf. This was something White Rose was doing. And I think supervillain just because White Rose, this is the kind of thing that Zhang and White Rose is doing. We're talking about influencing world elections. We're talking about annexing countries. We're talking about having private islands where you live, which is something straight out of a Bond movie. We're talking about developing technology that can bend the will of the universe to your hand. This is the sort of thing that White Rose is engaged in. You can take the politics out of it and not even pick a side and just say the person who is interested in bending the will of a national election to their own personal goal by manipulating a very particular individual with a set of goals and and trying to create that sort of thing, they're a supervillain, regardless of whether you agree with what they're doing or not. And, and leaving the politics out of it that's a supervillain and she he is a supervillain no matter what mode she's in whether it's white rose or minister Zhang. and as you point out the fact that it's bd wong and the expressive face that bd wong has makes it almost a more delicious type of performance as a supervillain so that when she's peeing on graves or when as minister Zhang he's coming down the stairs greeting the american delegation in china and this huge smile breaks out on his face or whether he's silently seething as philip price is talking about Bitcoin. It's uh, it's a really masterful and delicious performance from B.D. Wong. Uh, and it is certainly a storyline and actions that are fitting of that level of performance. So it's definitely a supervillain performance, whether or not you agree with what the character is doing or not. It's uh, those are supervillain antics for sure. Hot stove, you know, some of this territory, but we will continue apace. And speaking of spectacular performances, Antonio, let's bring in our boy, Wally Sean, the great Wallace Sean. Inconceivable that this man <laughs> is on Mr. Robot playing a character named Mr. Williams, whose aesthetic apparently is modeled after Ty Cobb. Interesting uh, little fact. Not the baseball there. player, the attorney. Not the baseball player, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know sports, but I feel like that's not lining up. No, definitely not. There's no Georgia peach with sharpened spikes and a big uh, tobacco wad. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is the, the Team Trump attorney, Ty Cobb. It looks like the Monopoly guy. Does look like the F Society mask, but also looks like my beloved Wallace Shawn. 
Yeah, Wallace Shawn in the house. We're going to have a great kind of interrogation scene that's going on here. It's a little bit trippy. There's some cocaine involved, <laughs> not Iocane powder, uh, but it's it's really fun just to, you know, it, there are shades of Princess Bride here, like a Nightmare Alice in Wonderland version of that great scene between Carrie Elways and Wallace Shawn in of Princess the wits. Bride. Battle of the Wits to the death. Never mess with the Sicilian with death is on the line and all all of that good stuff. Uh, Cora Donna also says that the master, uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, is an influence in this scene. It's great. Uh, you know, the tea kettle in the background kind of really impacting the sound design of the scene. Uh, the score is directly from The Shining. Once again, that's really adding a great sense of tension. The repetition of these questions that Mr. Williams is asking Terrell, look what I did, a Terrell, uh, is asking. <laughs> this character and is really just like hammering the questions over and over and over again until finally he gets to the true true I believe yep. of what Tyrell is actually feeling what were your takeaways from this scene and the line of inquiry in particular yeah, everything you said is I mean this is why when people are saying when you're telling me there's negative critical opinion about this episode it's like I understand the concern about how season two was paced get over it because there's stuff like this in this episode that's just am- amazing like like it's amazingly put together on all on our, every level, including Matt Quayle's got some stuff in there, I believe, not just the stuff from The Shining. It is it is all across the board. Fantastic sound cues, acting, cocaine, all of it. Yeah. And then it's just a repetition of questions. We know the Dark Army seems to be fond of these interrogations, whether it's with a little mini version of yourself in a weird room with a fish slowly draining water out of the tank or whether it's in a more organized or a uh, controlled chaos sort of way as this is this is a dark army staple and tyrell quickly cracks i mean i don't know how long that went on with those exes and do you love your wife have you slept with anyone since you've been married will you be loyal to me like i don't i don't know how long that pattern went on do you hate your father but but you're right i think by the end of it we do get to what you call the true true uh which is tyrell cracks and he begrudgingly admits yes i hate my father it's great stuff from martin wallstrom here when he's said, yeah, I'm afraid of becoming him. The yes, the yeses and the yeses. Yes, I was fired from E-Corp. Yes, I murdered Sharon Knowles. And no, I didn't cheat on my wife. No, I will not be loyal to you, Mr. Williams. But then we get to the heart of the matter uh, as unfortunately, the no, I will not makes it look like Tyrell. That might be the end because we see White Rose's valet has been around the corner the whole time. Mr. Williams gives this sad little nod like, sorry, this is it. Uh, But the Tyrell says, I'll always be loyal to Elliot. And Josh, this seems to be enough. Yeah, I will always be loyal to Elliot is a terrific line read and really um, it's just reinforcing what we're already feeling about Tyrell's feelings toward Elliot. Uh, you know, the you know, him him almost confessing his love in this episode, confessing his love to Angela, his love for for Elliot to Angela in the season two finale and just further reinforced here. I will always be loyal to Elliot. His fascination, his fixation with Elliot Alderson is the thing that saves his life in this moment. Like that's good enough for the Dark Army for now. Uh, and that is good enough that Elliot is now, uh, or Tyrell rather, is now going to be allowed to A, live and B, continue to prep stage two from his place here on this compound. Uh, and the operation, it is indeed called Red Wheelbarrow 
at Elliot Alderson's request. Makes you feel like this is, uh, you know, directly a move to, to, you know, to cater to Tyrell's ego here. Mr. Robot hanging on to that moment from uh, when they were both out in the rain in Coney Island and Tyrell talking about the Red Wheelbarrow poem. Mr. Robot filed that away and brought it out for another rainy day. And this is, this is definitely Tyrell's jam right here. He's very happy about that. And it's satisfying too. I mean, this is, um, you know, just a, a question we've had. Like, why are all of these things called Red Wheelbarrow? Uh, very much tied to uh, all stemming from this, this poem that is so close to Tyrell's heart. And Elliot is utilizing that and really pulling on Tyrell's heartstrings in a pretty cool way. Yeah, and it does. You're right. Because it was Mr. Robot that heard it, that heard it, it does smack of manipulation. And that's that's sad. But Elliot's the one who named his journal Red Wheelbarrow, I believe. Uh, and Elliot's the one who's like, did they get that from me or I get that from them? So I think that even though it, the Mr. Robot part of it is of Elliot is familiar with the Red Wheelbarrow, it seems to have seeped through with Elliot as well. So it's this thing that permeates. And I'm glad it didn't have some greater, as far as we know right now, meaning other than this is a thing that Tyrell in his madness blurted out to Elliot to try to really make a connection with him and that it sunk in with Mr. Robot as or that Elliot as Mr. Robot. And then it came back through this. You know what? He wanted to name this for you like it was him. It it was it was this was his idea. And I think that you're right. It really just helps. It's like he slid into his DMs like this is a sign, right? Like this is something that Elliot ultimately wants uh, that, that I think Tyrell would have to see this as a requited uh, action by Elliot to call this red wheelbarrow. So I, I think that's really in the course of the story. Fantastic. And I think for the character, it's a big moment. And it is after that, that we get the, where is Elliot? And we get the phone call. So it is also right after that, that we see him snapping because the phone call doesn't go his way. So this is Tyrell's like a teenager, Josh, like a, he's like a, from, from moment to moment, either he's getting a snap that is making him happy or he's seeing a snap that's making him upset. Uh, and I think that this is a moment where when the, call does not go his way we see what that looks like in the background and it doesn't look pretty no but you know what it looks like it looks eerily reminiscent of the scene from season one when tyrell is blowing a gasket in the background as joanna wellick r.i.p is eating fried pickles in the foreground it does you, you have irving here in the foreground who is just like listening to music and just kind of hanging out and tyrell is losing his chill in the background and irving at least is more attentive to this than joanna was in that scene back in season one uh and this is when irving is going to take tyrell outside and show him how to get centered. The best way to get centered is to chop wood. Good news, Irving doesn't have to spend a lot of time teaching Tyrell how to chop wood. Tyrell already knows how to do this from his days as a kid with his uh, with his father. Uh, I think it's just another sign of the the humble beginnings that yes. uh, that mark Tyrell Wellick's life that he is trying to, you know, desperately trying to, to run away from at, you know, really terrible cost to humanity. <laughs> Did you just call him Mark Tyrell Wellick? Did I his, call him I, Mark Tyrell? His, I think you said they, that Mark Tyrell. Is that his full name, Mark Tyrell Wellick? <laughs> Come on, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it. You Mark can understand Wahlberg. why he'd want to drop it. Like, his Tyrell is a much cooler first name <laughs> yeah. than Mark. No offense to the Marks out there. Yeah, no, I just think Mark Tyrell Wellick doesn't quite have the same ring to <laughs> no, it. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, this is, uh, he's, he's chopping wood and quite literally. And he says he stopped because he hated it. But, uh, and, and Irving says even better. Like, yeah, this is a good, good thing for you to do, uh, to really exercise your desires in this way. Chop the wood for us. 
So uh, we get to see a little bit of a montage of Tyrell working on stage two, and there's some great music in the background. What's the music? I don't want to embarrass myself with the music. Here. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever done that before? I really no, don't remember no, that, that ever on the podcast. Never, never. Yeah, happened. it's uh, it's just it's. I believe it's a Canadian songster, uh, Gordon Lightfoot here. Who uh, this is some sad stuff that's really coming out when you look at the way that it's played because our, we are we're we're listening to Gordon Lightfoot saying if you. Could, singing if you could read my mind but we're seeing what it's like to read tyrell's mind because we're seeing what he's looking at he's looking at his kid josh on the baby monitor he's hacked into the video feed from the house and he's looking at planning stage two and he's getting into business here and he's starting to grow the playoff beard and it's sad because i'm reading his mind there and i'm seeing a guy who starts focusing on the task but he's also thinking about his kid and i'm sad because josh i know what's happening to that kid and it's it ain't great it's not great. You know, I, I do think it's very fascinating that if Tyrell is like super afraid of becoming his father uh, and if he hates his father and he clearly doesn't want that same fate to befall his child, it's happening. You know, like all of the pieces are in place for history to repeat itself, not in a way that Tyrell would have anticipated, probably. But, uh, you know, Tyrell's son will, if he stays in social services, like if he stays away from from Tyrell and the Wellick bloodline, uh, will grow up wondering like who that man is. Will probably grow up uh, at least somewhat agitated by that question. Let's say finds out that he is the son of Tyrell Wellick, this humongous criminal in history. Assuming it doesn't go Tyrell's way, or Tyrell isn't able to clean up his image. Um, so I think that you know Tyrell has uh he's chopped down enough trees to create a path to just follow his father down that same trail uh and become a disappointment to his son so i think just the the layers on that are are really really great um Beyond all of that, Antonio, this is indeed a flashback episode that is showing us time that we missed during season two, which means we can check in with a couple of other people we haven't seen in a while and indeed check in with somebody who we probably won't really be checking in with a lot, if ever again, on this show. And that's Turtle from Entourage, a.k.a. Cisco. Not Jerry uh, Ferrara. Not Jerry Ferrara. Uh, we've, got, we've got Cisco back in the mix here because it's a flashback. This is while he still had his head intact. And it's fun to see Cisco and Darlene together slash super sad because I really like these guys together. Yeah. And it is we're not just seeing them together. We're getting more information about their relationship. And we're seeing that Darlene was a job. For Cisco, at some point, it's, it sounds like the Dark Army assigned Cisco to work her as an asset and to be in that situation with her. And he caught the feels. He caught feelings for her. And maybe it was because of what Darlene said she let him do, which I can't repeat on this podcast or won't. Uh, but more likely, which apparently you can repeat endlessly on USA, by the way, uh, all props to Mr. Robot for just deciding that standards don't apply anymore. And I'm all yes. in on that. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this was a job. For Francisco. This was supposed to be an asset that he was working, and he certainly 
treated it different, treated Darlene, treated her differently, treated the situation differently. And we see him after he meets with Darlene and they're talking about how Cisco says, can't we just be like a normal couple and fight over the water bill and plan vacations to Budapest? Uh, and then we see him meeting with Irving and Irving gives him the warning that maybe he would have saved his life if he'd heeded it. But he says, like, she's, she's job always was anything gets messed up. You're not protected. And she is. So we see now why only one person died in the condiments conspiracy, Josh. And that's because Darlene is protected probably by virtue of being Elliot's sister, perhaps by virtue of being an Alderson herself uh, and maybe some greater connection to something that would have happened in Washington Township that we don't know about. But she's protected. Cisco wasn't. Cisco stuck his neck out for her, became the guy who was the most wanted guy and who got immediately gunned down by the Dark Army as a result. So Darlene having is still alive, seemingly because she's allowed to be alive. That's why the Dark Army hasn't killed her the way they killed Cisco. She's protected. But for poor Cisco, the fact that he was there with Darlene and sticking his neck out for her and going back to that house and bringing people to the hospital and doing all the things he did, it put him right in the crosshairs of the Dark Army, despite this warning that we now see from Irving. Er Hindsight is almost 2020, Josh, in a show where Irving is in a later season of a show, but yet the scene is set in an earlier season uh, from the, the timeline standpoint. It's like he knows. It's almost like he knows, Josh. He's been given the spoilers. Yes, he, uh, yes he's spoiled. He knows the season three stories. <laughs> yeah, it's he's a good deal. season three canon, but he's in season two at the time. Good deal for Irving. Yeah, R.I.P. Cisco. Lots of information here. Uh, makes you feel a little tiny bit better, maybe, about Darlene's longevity, knowing that she is indeed protected by the Dark Army, that they are not coming after her, though. That could change, as Irving pointed out in the in the Season 3 premiere. You know, we could put that bullet right back into into you, Elliot, and you don't want to lose, uh, you know, looking at uh, Darlene. So who knows if that's going to be a forever thing or it's just a for now thing. But it was great to revisit uh, Cisco. Uh, and just to get a little bit more closure on it that was. character and to have you know uh, this this final note if it's a if it is the final note at least a final note for now on a character who uh, ultimately was pretty heroic uh, knowing yeah. knowing what we know and knowing that Darlene was originally a mark and he did go way out of his way because he <laughs> fell for her really hard uh, and ends up getting killed for it I think is. What? Why are you laughing? Darlene's a Mark now, too. We have Mark Tyrell Wellick and Darlene. <laughs> Can is I a never mark. use the word Mark again? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm on Mark Watch now. It's really late as we're recording no, this. It's not. Like, no, now it's not. I have to be on Mark Watch. Like, this is going to be. <laughs> This is going to be frustrating. I'm sorry. I'm marking difficult. out. I'm marking out. Yeah, no, I love seeing the Cisco. I'm a big fan of seeing the Cisco. So if this is the last time we see him or if we see him some more, I'm fine with that. But here he's serving a role, right? Because he's working on the Femme to Cell, which was a big part of season two. Uh, this very complicated piece of hardware that ha that was loaded with all of this software that enabled F society to do two things. And that's sort of what's being talked about here. The two things that it enabled was one backdoor access to E Corp, which enables them for stage two. The backdoor that Elliot shut ultimately was, was set up through this fem to sell that, that enabled them to get access to those UPSs, those batteries that they're going to overheat and they're going to blow up the building with in stage two. But it also with the malware, the Android malware that was present on the fem to sell when Irving brings it back to Tyrell, 
allowed F society to hack the FBI. It allowed them to get access to a whole bunch of information that put them in a better position and that better enabled them to do what they needed to do to stay under the radar, to stay quiet and to at the time squash some things that were happening that were directly and immediately threatening them. Not the least of which was Angela planting the femme to sell on the video footage. So it enabled them to hack the FBI too. Is that your read on this at the, that the malware on the femme to sell, they say Android malware was the enabled them to get at the FBI. And the other thing the, the, the femme to sell was meant to do was to set up that backdoor access to eCorp. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Uh, I think that that, that lines up. Um, yeah, nothing further to add, Your Honor, uh, Justice Mark. I've got, I've got. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm marking out. I'm laughing because of Mark Tyrell Wellick. I'm, I'm so in love with the idea that he has a real, that he has a first we're, name. Listen, we're losing our minds right alongside Tyrell. Who, the longer he is on this compound, like it's, it's starting to become apparent that this guy is, uh, he truly is Looney Tunes. With He's beard. uh, the beard's coming in. The beard's coming in. I think it looks great. When I spoke with Martin Wallstrom, he was kind of self conscious about it. He he said that he would only fit in on a farmer in Williamsburg, but he wouldn't fit anywhere else wearing that beard. I thought that was funny, but I, I tried to tell him, I was like, I think the beard looks good. I You're like, uh, good. I know a couple other parts of Brooklyn. You might fit in, buddy. Uh, come on and yeah. visit. Yeah, I know. Come on, come on down. Come on to my um, house. Yeah, but it's not just yeah. the beard that's making him crazy, right? Because he's reading about what we know was happening with Joanna in season two, what we know ultimately led to her untimely demise last week, her issues with Derek. We see him reading about that in the tab. Tabloids. And this is this is very much the shining. This is driving him over a wall for sure. Uh, this is him chopping away at his project while his life is slipping away and, and he's slowly descending into madness. And I think this is no it's not encapsulated in any better way, Josh, than when Irving shows up and has a bag of stuff for him and he's got Swedish fish. And again, Irving's like Swedish fish. Uh-huh. And he's got sunglasses. What is Tyrell? He quotes the Bible. And what does he say? He, I mean, he talks about uh, about being no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Like you do. do you know, that's just kind of how you talk. Uh, and then, hey, thanks for the sunglasses. These yeah. are sweet. Shirtless, sweaty, bearded, crazy man wearing these aviators and quoting Bible verses about penal destruction. So uh, this is this is a lot. This I mean, when Irving's rolling up on this guy and he's saying, like, don't pay attention to the tabloids, they almost ruined Richard Gere, uh, which is, a, you know, it's a long held urban legend. But the uh, the primal fear connection, Josh, I thought was interesting, considering I don't want to spoil that movie even though it's decades old. But the movie centers around a, uh, a an accused of a crime character who may have some personality issues uh, and who may, like Elliot, have a darker side of his personality in Edward Norton's character. And Richard Gere is one of the uh, people involved with trying to help with this case. Uh, but that's uh, it's an interesting little, little name check there for this show. Uh, and they're continually doing that. We're going to get to another one later in this podcast about Big Brother. But uh, it is it is uncomfortable, to say the least, when Tyrell's just ran randomly quoting Bible verses from Deuteronomy. I don't know of any other significance of that verse, and I don't know if you've seen any other significance of it, but I got to say, you're talking to a guy, he's sitting there sharpening an axe, sweaty and shirtless, with a beard, slowly descending into madness, and you know he's upset about his wife, and what he says is, talks about being emasculated by crushing or cutting and entering the assemblies of the Lord. This is a guy that already has delusions of grandeur. I, it's a little bit, it's a little disturbing. Is he talking about the theoretical emasculation of, of the removal of Joanna from his life? Is that the emasculation he's talking about? 
I don't know, or maybe just the fact that he is being pinned down in this compound and like completely removed from all the power that he should rightfully have as a god, right? Uh, so he's going to choose to to act on his rights. Uh, he is going to choose to leave this compound behind for who knows why. Like I don't know exactly why he is leaving, other than he's just like sick of this thing and he wants to go. <laughs> he's just like enough. Yeah, I'm out of here. Drop the mic or the axe, as it were, and he's. He's going to hit the dusty trail. Uh, he's going to go into town and he's going to get spotted immediately because even with that beard, you're the most wanted man ever. Uh, so you're going to get sought out. You're going to get ID'd. You're going to get found. And he is going to be discovered by who ends up being a pretty unlucky police officer. I assume named Mark, uh, who is <laughs> who is who is going to run Tyrell down. Officer and Mark. And he, Officer Mark, he's going to arrest Tyrell. Tyrell is like going to break his own thumb to get out of the handcuffs, oh. uh, which is very, very, very physically uh, disgusting to to behold. I'm not a fan of that. And it's also ultimately unnecessary uh, because yeah. lo and behold, finally, 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 no surprise to anybody who's really been tracking this closely, but nice to have it confirmed. Santiago. Yes. Uh, first name Mark Santiago <laughs> is indeed moly, 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 moly. This FBI agent who has been paired up with Dom DiPiero in the past is Dark Army. And poor Officer Mark learns this the hard way. Dirty Santiago. This is bad. Uh, and I, this is where I had stocked in New York in my notes. But I like, like Tyrell, once you start hearing the Cypress Hill in your head, it goes off the, uh, goes off the trail for sure. This poor cop, very unlucky Officer Mark. Santiago is dirty, shoots him in the head, uh, gets Tyrell, and, and then goes back and really complains to Irving and says, look, I, I'm catching a lot of heat for being involved with you guys i think this is before even santiago went to the is the lengths that he ultimately goes to and we've seen him continue to go to in trying to obfuscate his role with the dark army and in trying to keep ddp off the scent at this point i think he'd only dodged the shootout in china he hadn't actually gone full rogue and released the sketch of cisco that got cisco killed by the dark army he hadn't done all these things that that ultimately ddp is still clocking uh with the dark army involvement so this is he's already upset he's already upset and not everything he's done is in the story at this point so you got to imagine in our current timeline this guy is probably pretty frustrated with doing the dark army's dirty work he never intended to kill a cop josh he didn't like their puzzles that that <laughs> they left a code for him to find the address he couldn't find it on his own he had to work out some math problem he says so i, I do wonder if this scene with santiago really flipping out on irving and saying you know, Irving says, we took care of it. And Santiago says, we, I took care of it. I forgot. You don't give a shit about me. Make sure this doesn't happen again. And he calls Tyrell a weirdo. He says, your boss is a maniac. So he probably knows about White Rose. Uh, this is a guy, Santiago, who I understand he's an asset, but at some point, even assets become liabilities. And I just wonder. <laughs> you missed an opportunity there, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me what I missed. No, no, leave yeah. it to the imagination. He is an asset. Uh, so at some point, assets become liabilities liabilities and i do wonder if this scene is meant to remind us that even at this point in the story he was he was losing his uh his happiness as a member of the dark army and so where could he possibly be in our current timeline odds are he's not happier uh so i do wonder if that's going to, to boil over at some point this season 
yeah, this dude's on edge, you know, yeah. and like you definitely have to imagine if it's not this season, it's next season. But this guy does not make it out of Mr. Robot alive. Absolutely no chance that that's happening for this guy. Uh, and it's just a matter of how and when and like who finds out. Like, I will be really unsatisfied if DDP does not get this information and yes. gets to act on it. Uh, I almost feel bad that I know and DDP doesn't. That's you know? a, yeah, that's what Corridana pointed out, the dramatic irony. Like, like that is I don't like it. It's certainly positioned to make us feel that way. But it also lets us look at not only scenes from last season, but scenes from this season in a different light. Josh, this is the guy who lobbied for the baby that Tyrell Wellick was obsessed with looking at on his baby camera. This is the guy who lobbied for that child to be sent to child services. Interesting. What are the odds that child's actually with child None. services? Low. It's with the Dark <laughs> Army, right? Zero. That's Tyrell Leverage, right? That baby is somewhere. It wouldn't surprise me if it's four hours away from New York on a private island. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a great call. That's a great call, yeah. The Tyrell child is very much out in the universe, not in social services. I wonder if DDP will be able to piece that together uh, or if that will just come into play in some other way uh, or the Dark Army will, you know, if Tyrell's acting out again uh, and Tyrell said that he would be loyal to Elliot, uh, maybe he would be loyal to his son as well. Yeah, we Um, we know in this next scene is a huge, huge indicator of this. We know know that that's a point of manipulation for Tyrell. That is a sore spot that can be used against him. Josh, you had to have loved this scene with Irving, where Irving is using that very thing, the sensitivity of being a father, of the legacy that's in the title of this episode. It's a complete lie, as we find out from Irving. But knowing it's a complete lie, this scene is amazing. Well, I I was triggered by the fact that Irving apparently is a Big Brother fan. Uh, (laughs) There's no Big Brother in the wiggle room. I yeah, know that. you know, I mean, a uh, you, had, in the Mazzaro zone, though. you asked me about what were the things that were triggering me earlier in this episode. This is really this is clearly number one on the list. Wow. Yeah. And then number number 17. This is season number 17 of Big Brother. Got that it. They would have been talking about for this. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a trigger. This is a wiggler trigger. Maybe we'll hey, get a survivor you know what? shout there, out. There are apparently some Big Brother writer, uh, Big Brother fans in the writer's room. Uh, I asked Coradana. Uh, I thanked him in advance is what I did for the survivor <laughs> Easter egg that we will Mighty see inevitably <laughs> in season four. He said he'll see what he can do. So uh, make it happen, Coradana. Give us a survivor shout out in season four Jeff Probst is uh, Dark Army you're not gonna yeah. like it <laughs> uh, I believe uh, that uh, San Juan del Sur is premiering around the time or no it's Second Chance Survivor's Second Chance actually is the season that should be airing uh, at the moment in the story that we are at in the present timeline uh, in Mr. Robot oh. so I can't wait till we'll... we get to Heroes Hackers and Hustlers <laughs> yeah that's a different season that's an alternate <laughs> timeline season uh, but yeah no the scene is great because Irving is, you know, peddling a whole bunch of bullshit. Like, it's baked into truth in some regard. Uh, he is a Big Brother fan, and he is you know, he is going to go home and watch that. Uh, but he doesn't have kids, as far as we can tell. It doesn't seem like he's a dad. Uh, but he is showing his, um, his proficiency as a salesman, and it's a cool look. It's very revealing about Irving. Also revealing that he is working on a novel. He is working on Beach Towel, a novel. So when he said in the season premiere, I'm going to go home and work on my book it wasn't like i'm gonna work on reading my book i'm literally 
going to go home and work at this book that I'm creating, and it is called Beach Towel, and it involves meaty damn hands, which is uh, hysterical. I I love a you week love gone wrong. Line. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> that I mean, I I stopped down and I read the full passage, yes, like, and it's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, maybe like some uh, some stylistic choices that I would disagree with in terms of the writing, uh, but I I like where the story is at. Uh, what's the guy's name? John Jack. Uh, whoever this poor schmuck is, Mark. like he's just he, his name is probably Mark. He's just getting <laughs> steel-toed boots to the face. This poor guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just be, or the, the fear misplaced of it, wink. The fear of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Misplaced wink. Yeah, it is. It's hard for good writers to write like they're not good writers, and you could tell that there that there was good writing in that in that piece, but there was also there's some elements that were purposefully put in there. I think to make it sound a little more like a like not necessarily sure. a professional writer, and I think that's sure. difficult for people to do. And I really like stopping down and reading that. And I, I am excited. You, I know, talked to Corridano about this as well. And I would be excited to read more of Irving's novel. I think it'd be fun. But I also would say, like, Irving has uh, proven himself to be a gifted storyteller. So, yes. you know, and I say that without irony. Like, I think that, like, you know, look no further than the first episode when he uh, is able to dismantle uh, the the FBI tale, like the way that he's able to do that, to improvise on the fly like that. And the yeah. way that he is able to talk to Tyrell here and really get Tyrell refocused. So he's a great storyteller. So it's no surprise that if he really you know, put his energy into, like, a productive, creative channel that does doesn't involve working with the like most infuriatingly evil shadow organization on the planet uh then you know it's uh you know that would probably be a better use of his time but as it is he's got you know he's not i i appreciate the fact that he is not using it seems his dark army con- connections to to get his books published i think that he is doing that with his own meaty damn yeah hands. it's a hustle he's 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 a it's all about the mug game and he's got some great mugs there i i i also stopped down to read every single one of those mugs there's some great ones got and they really run the gamut Josh, of the any 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 part of the spectrum he might want to hit with a manipulative mug, he's got it. He's got God is my co-pilot, proud veteran, cat lover. He's got uh, be the person your dog thinks you are right next to to cat lover. He's got a fishing one that says trout whisperer. He's got kiss me, I'm Irish. He's got one that says I believe new kidney, new life, new start. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> was, awesome. Yeah, is he just like oh, you know, I had my kidney replaced. Eh, it wasn't too bad. The recovery wasn't great, but I uh, got back on my feet the car really helped me <laughs> got back and forth to rehab like what's his sale based on that mug i'd love to see the mark if you if you will the target that would buy in on that particular mug he's also got one that says exercise and then it's gone through this uh, lines of eggs or sides and then the bottom just says bacon so it's for bacon so <laughs> yeah he's got some great mugs there he's also he is a big brother fan uh and this is an interesting season of big brother 17 uh it fits the timeline certainly uh so it, i don't know know about season choice i think that from a timeline standpoint this would have been the season that was airing at the time but it's sort of a happy accident if not because there are some interesting mr robot double things going on in this season there was a character uh, who big brother fans will shudder at his name austin who was a professional wrestler who had an alter ego by the name of judas and judas was uh, a guy who wore a hat that's how you knew it wasn't austin at the time and judas was much more evil and darker than austin 
and Austin was a nice, smart guy, and Judas was his evil alter ego. And Austin was in love with uh, with with the Nolan sisters, who he didn't realize. Like sometimes he he thought that he was getting a great vibe from them, and sometimes he thought he wasn't. And the problem was it was two sisters playing one person. So sometimes he'd have a real good connection with one of the sisters, and they would switch out, and he wouldn't know they'd switched out. And he'd be like, "Wow, she was giving me great vibes a, a few a few minutes ago, and now she acts like she doesn't want to talk to me." And it was because one of the sisters liked him and one didn't. So that's an interesting connection with Tyrell. And uh, so that was uh, that's an interesting. It's just I keep saying interesting, but it's really I don't know what else it is. I don't think there's any other value to it. But it's it's uh, certainly coincidental at the very least that you've got all those doubles connections on that season of Big Brother. And I know you haven't been listening since I've been talking about Big Brother. So let's talk about Leon, Josh. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, put it on the dash. Yeah, yeah, okay. Put it on the dash. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's dash to jail and see right. Irving meeting up with Leon, uh, Joey Badass, back in the house. Uh, and this is a fun scene. This is a scene that you and I should be very excited about, Antonio. This is a scene that gives me a lot of hope for uh, someone we haven't talked about in, our, in a little while. Uh, our son. I've been watching uh, him on the baby monitor. Uh, you've been watching him on the baby <laughs> monitor. But the last time we saw Trenton and Mobley of F Society fame and the last time we saw Leon, all of that happened at the same time. Mobley and Trenton obviously have fled the coop. They feel like they are being targeted. They needed to hit the road to evade both Dark Army and the FBI. And season two ends with a post credit scene that shows the two of them openly wondering if there's any way to reverse the damage that they have done to the world through the 5-9 hack and it ends with Leon walking up to them and asking for the time and given what we saw Leon do to the neo-Nazis that were attacking Elliot in prison he murdered those guys and he's very happy about it as he's recounting the tale to Irving he also mentions that like normally I'm really not about that like I'm I'm you know I like life like I respect life I'm a pretty peaceful guy uh Gotta feel pretty good about about the Mobley and Trenton thing then. Like, maybe they're in duress. You know, maybe things aren't great for them. But doesn't it feel like this is on the show specifically to make us feel okay about Mobley and Trenton if you're connecting those two dots? Uh, you're, it's pretty persuasive what you're saying there. I, I didn't initially feel that way per se. And then I talked to you a little bit about it and I came away with that, uh, that feeling as well. It's specifically stated here by Leon that he liked killing Nazis, but he normally doesn't like doing killing work. And he was not, he was sent, he was in jail. His role was not to kill. His role was to oversee and protect Elliot. His role was to look out for Elliot and make sure that he was okay in prison. So I don't, I don't know why you'd send that guy specifically out to Arizona, a guy who doesn't like to kill, who isn't one of your guys who rides up on a motorcycle and just pops off bullets. Unless, Josh, you want him to, to do what he did for Elliot, which is protect. And so I do feel a little better about Trenton and Mobley in light of the fact that we got this scene with Leon. I, I always like seeing Joey Badass. I think he's a, actually a pretty good actor, considering yeah. that's not his primary gig. And I, I just it's great to see him back on the show very much very much very much looking forward to more leon and to seeing where that story kicks off in this season uh he's advice for irving about elliot to get him laid i don't think that happened so it doesn't seem like it yeah no. we're waiting for the other shoe to drop on that one um I am this. I'm reminded of something. I, I keep sounding like Wallace Shawn. I'm reminded of something. <laughs> uh, 
wait till I get going. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm reminded of something that I wanted to talk to you about when we talk about Leon and his role as a protector and not as a killer. And when we talked about Cisco being gunned down randomly, uh, I think you and I had a divided opinion on this from this episode. But talking about Leon reminds me of it. And I want to hit it. When you mentioned earlier that Irving jokingly read Gideon Godard when when Bobby Cannavale had that line reading and Gideon was brought up, I'm now more convinced that the Dark Army probably found a way to machinate their way into having Gideon bumped off. Really? I know it seemed like a coincidence, but we know in White Rose's world there are no coincidences. But this put Gideon squarely in the Dark Army's crosshairs, the fact that he was blabbing to the FBI. And if we know anything, we know if the Dark Army wants you dead, they find a way to kill you. And we're saying that that's not happened with Trenton and Mobley. Leon walked up to them and politely asked them about the time. But Gideon died. And it he, he died seemingly just by happenstance. Somebody who was crazy and was carrying carrying a gun and knew who he was sat next to him in a bar, but it's starting to feel more like to me that that person was probably somebody who was controlled in the way that white Rose is talking about these conspiracy minded things about controlling the governments in the way that those same people often try to control or coordinate killings. They find a crazy person. They can make the patsy and they put them up for it. I'm starting to feel like that's what happened to Gideon, that it was a dark army thing and that it wasn't random. I think you feel differently. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was random. I, I feel, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe something will bear out later on that fully confirms that, or maybe it's going to be up for interpretation, um, for the duration of sure. the show. Uh, but to me, it feels more like the, the chaos of the universe in the way that Joanna Wellick was killed. Like, it feels to me more like just the, the universe that's been created and this poor guy gets shot in the, in the crossfire of that. Uh, I don't feel like he is specifically targeted by Dark Army. Um, like, that feels like the, the moves that need to be made in order to get that to happen. And this guy, my monologuing needlessly uh, before killing Gideon, if that's the way that it's going to go. And we've seen how dark army assassinations are typically carried out. It doesn't really jive with me. Um, so I'm not in on it, uh, but I'd love to hear what other people think. I'd love to, to see which side of the, of the fence people, people fall on in terms of did the dark army kill Gideon or not. Uh, it's definitely something to, to ponder for sure. Yeah, the problem is that you're, you're 100% correct. That it's not, it's not entirely how they do their business. And we're, we're talking about characters like Darlene being protected and other characters not being protected. And we're talking about whether Mobley and Trenton fit into where they fit into that matrix, right? And is Leon being sent to look out for them or to take them out? And I do feel like that they're all the characters who are involved with Elliot are probably falling on one side or the other of that analysis. And maybe Romero was killed by a random bullet maybe it was something more than that maybe Gideon was killed by the unfortunate almost as we talked about it at the time Gavrilo like princip World War One coincidence of being in the absolute wrong place at the absolute wrong time or the absolute right time depending on your perspective and maybe that's all it was and maybe it is part of that chaotic universe but the Joanna Wellick murder was more karmic retribution it was more of her chickens coming home to roost the things that she'd done and if anything Gideon didn't have chickens he was like the good guy in the world. He was the guy who we find out through Irving's discussion in this episode. He went right to the FBI after that, after Tyrell said that the honeypot needed to stay in place and or needed to be removed. And he went right to the FBI with that. 
it just seems like that's the kind of guy who he's not going to be protected. I don't know why he's wandering around out here. We know after that he subsequently went to talk to Elliot in prison. We don't know what the Dark Army might have known about that visit, but we know it was really pretty much shortly after that visit and in, in within the same episode, I believe that he was killed. So it does track in that regard. So I don't know if that's ultimately if that's ultimately what it is uh, or if there's something more to it. But I, I, I certainly as well would be interested to know what other people think about what that is. Is this a greater thing in play? Because as we're pulling back the curtain, and as you, we talk about on the show, doing it really pulling back and showing us more of the painting, showing us more of the canvas. Uh, is that something where white roses is capable of plotting world elections? So is she capable of getting that action in? It's hard to say, uh, but ultimately, this is uh, this is post Elliot's release. So Elliot has been released from jail. And Josh, that means great things for Tyrell. Great news. Indeed. Elliot out of jail means Tyrell out of prison as well. Uh, Tyrell coming back to the big cité, Antonio. Uh, he's going to he's going to be on the overlookout for Elliot Alderson. <laughs> I like that. Or is it the Fukan lookout? Yeah, this is a <laughs> nice translation. The uh, This is another shining shout out, the name of the hotel uh, that Tyrell checks into, uh, the F-U-K-A-N, however you want to say that. I believe if you translate... USA the- Network is able to say that without any problems. Characters are welcome here. Even the characters that when arranged together spell naughty words. Uh, yeah, this uh, Japanese translation is to overlook, I think. So the Overlook Hotel, which is a, a nice little shout out to sh- to the Shining there. I love that. Uh, it's a creepy hotel. They also have the pattern from the, the famous carpet of the Overlook Hotel on the back of their sign. If you look closely in the lobby there. So an eerie uh, hotel, to say the least. And uh, Tyrell has also seen the staging area, the warehouse. It's perfect to love it all he's thinking about is bay josh that's all that's on his mind this whole time that's all that's on his mind but uh there is the interesting little factoid that irving tosses out when he gives a gun over to tyrell and it's the gun from back on the night of the five nine hack the barrel was jammed the next shot would have blown your hand clean off uh so if mr robot had insisted upon killing tyrell uh, that would have backfired in a pretty bad way. And Elliot Alderson needs his hands. So that would have been a career ender for sure. Yeah, Can you hack without hands? I don't, I don't even know. I mean, How would tough. You do it's that? tough. It's tough. Yeah. I'm sure it's doable. Of course, it's doable. But it wouldn't be, you know, without some struggle to get back into fighting shape. Yeah, that voice to text stuff doesn't work great. So that would be uh, that would be a fantastic. That would, that's a movie that needs to be made. My left foot was like an Oscar winner, I think, back <laughs> right. in the day. So we could do that again with hackers in the modern era. But yeah, yeah this is uh, it wouldn't have just I think that would have been a double thing, right? Because the gun was on Tyrell's head. Right. So if you pull the trigger at that distance, hand gets blown off. I got to imagine face gets blown off too. Yeah, or face at least off. face off for sure. You know? face off. Uh, yeah, that's great. So Nicholas Cage is in the mix, which is you what can you eat always want. You can eat a peach for hours. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. It is <laughs> a that's good full thing. bloom, my friend. That's, full a, bloom. that's literally the line. I understand. You could, I could quote lines that are full bloom too, my friend. <sighs> Whatever. It's a good thing that this trigger was not pulled for everybody's sake. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't want to mess a, up that pretty face Tyrell has, no, like that it, beard is doing. I he know. shaves his beard off. It's this gone. is some, some real-time shaving going on here. 
Yeah, I I liked this because like I do feel like the show had to figure out a way to like justify the fact that Tyrell uh is like clean shaven and like absolutely recognizable as Tyrell Wellick in that scene in the season two finale. Uh and like you need it from Irving here to basically be like, dude, this is a terrible idea. Like, why are you doing this? You're in Manhattan. Like, I can't protect you, Dark Army can't protect you. So it's like almost like calling itself out. But there's some justification for it that like clearly Tyrell has a thing for Elliot has a fixation on Elliot at the very least, calls it love. Maybe it's something else. Who knows what it truly is? But we have this from Tyrell where like, I got to look my best for Elliot. And so the the beard is gone. I liked the brief appearance of the handlebar mustache. I thought was pretty good. Uh, but once the beard is gone, so too is the flashback portion of this episode. Tyrell sees Elliot from up above in his hotel room. He gets into the cab. We cut to black. We hear the bang of the bullet from the season two finale and now we are i mean i guess still still technically flashback but pretty close to the present we are now seeing elliot on the operating table they are pulling that bullet out of him as tyrell is helplessly watching and finding out that sometimes elliot alderson is not elliot alderson and you gotta feel you just have to feel and the way the episode ends here you just have to feel like this is going to be a big problem because i think that when you have two halves of elliot alderson i think it's very clear that tyrell has a thing for the mr robot half the main interactions that we've seen where elliot has gotten to him whether it's that you're not you're only seeing what's in front of you you're not seeing what's above you i think that was after elliot had been in full mr robot mode with him in the suv that's the red wheelbarrow moment we know the moment from when we were going to be gods together when he pulls the gun on him and all of that intensity is mr robot elliot they have had interactions where elliot is elliot and not just mr robot but i think these these ones where tyrell is really impacted and really affected and the bond has been truly strengthened by tyrell's vulnerability and everything going on there have been with mr robot and we've seen even in this season when tyrell interacted with Mr. Robot after he shot him like you you did a you're a pretty bad shot you missed all my vital organs it's like flirting with him but Elliot is not responding and will not respond and does not respond well to Tyrell because Elliot is not in on the plan it is the plan it is the desire to be gods together the things they will do the things they will accomplish that is I think a huge part of the allure for Tyrell and the Elliot that doesn't want to participate in that the Elliot that treats Tyrell as like anathema to every Everything that he is after or trying to do uh, is certainly not the Elliot that Tyrell falls for. So being as Tyrell can't control which Elliot he's seeing, I think this is a bigger problem. And I can, considering the fact that we've seen what looks what it looks like when Tyrell goes off the rails and we know that there are these things hanging out there that have happened in this season, which are probably going to put Tyrell in a crazier position, naming, naming, namely what happened with Joanna and what may happen with his child. I just think this bodes really poorly for their relationship going forward is that your read on this yeah i think that that's fair uh and again uh to to touch on your
your point of Tyrell seems to be more attracted to the Mr. Robot side of Elliot than Elliot himself or Elliot proper, Elliot Prime. It's no surprise to me that the thing that Tyrell really uh, feels drawn toward is the side of Elliot Alderson that White Rose previously described as like his pure focused rage. You know, he is he is enamored with the rage monster. And we have seen the rage monster within Tyrell Wellick in the past. And it's almost like for Tyrell to learn that Elliot is more than a rage monster, that there are these other shades to him that are not only that uh, are different from the rage monster, but are at war with the rage monster, perhaps, I think is a bad wake up call for a guy who we've just enjoyed watching in this episode. But make no mistake, like Tyrell Wellick is a bad guy. He is a bad person who has done bad things. And I don't want to say like, you know, he's beyond redemption. Like he's beyond redemption, I think, as a character. I think that there is still good that this character could do, but there's really no redeeming a lot of the stuff that he has done. And I think that he is a pretty fundamentally flawed and bad individual. And for him to be like disturbed by the idea that there is a better Elliot in there, you know, better by our standards as the viewer, as Elliot's friend, um, should make you really worried for Elliot. Right. Uh, and should make you really worried about this dynamic and i think that that is um among the most important things that's achieved in this episode uh that i do think this episode goes a long way towards like giving you some sympathy for the devil but hopefully reminding you that tyrell wellick is one of the many demons in this equation that elliot is having to untangle uh and reintroducing this character in a really big way uh somebody who has been an antagonistic force on mr robot in the past and now that he's back in the mix got to imagine imagine um will be antagonistic again to elliot certainly given his role in stage two but now it is interesting that tyrell is going to have some appreciation for the fact that the elliot he loves is not the elliot who's always there uh could be really bad for the elliot that we love so i'm reading that the same exact way as you are yeah and it's it's crazy because in season one and season two the scene that we saw multiple times the the suv scene that we've talked about while they're in the suv tyrell says aren't you forgetting that i know your dirty little secret and we are much speculated during season one podcast and season two podcast what's he talking about there does he have a greater knowledge of Elliot? Does he know about Mr. Robot? Does he know about, or is he just saying, I know that you're a hacker and that you did this horrible thing or that you're working for the dark, for F society or whatever. It turns out he really now does know Elliot's dirty little secret. He knows about the split personalities of Elliot. Angela has spilled the beans. I think she really had no choice. She had to try to keep Tyrell in check and she had to keep Tyrell with his eyes on the prize. But as you're pointing out, the fact that that is what Tyrell is in, interested in and here we have an Elliot who in the last episode when he's talking about who compromised us what was going on when he's worried that that Mr. Robot might still be working with Tyrell that Elliot already sees Tyrell as oppositional he already sees Tyrell as problematic he was willing to get shot in the chest uh, to try to prove that that Tyrell wasn't even real because he was trying to derail stage two at that point so the Elliot that we know that is so fixated on not doing the thing that Tyrell wants to do you're right is directly jeopardized i think by a tyrell that really wants the other thing to happen and i I just don't know i think for someone like angela 
Uh, Angela, Angela. I sound like Tony Danza. Uh, I believe that, uh, I believe that Angela knows who's the boss. Like she knows ultimately, <laughs> uh, she knows ultimately like what the goal is here. And she's Elliot's longtime friend. Right. So even though she's working against Elliot Prime by working with Mr. Robot, I think she's trying to keep Elliot safe and she's trying not to jeopardize his life, limb, that sort of thing. And she's in, in some ways, she's saving him from the plot going sideways, which will jeopardize him with White Rose. So she's She's doing that, I think, at least so far this season. And even though she's doing it behind Elliot's back, I don't think it's to the detriment of Elliot's life. But I just don't I just don't think that Tyrell is going to have that level of commitment to Elliot. His commitment is not to Elliot. It's to the, as you put, the unbridled rage, the the rage monster. And if that rage monster is not who he sees, I don't know that he's going to want to. I mean, is he going to shoot Elliot again? Like, is that where we're going to end? Like, that would be pretty brutal. But uh I do wonder what, how much longer Tyrell is for this story because, and we, we had uh, some good emails about this. We had uh, one from you, Jankinator, uh, from Reddit about this. Ultimately, should this Tyrell information have been spread out over multiple episodes? I don't know about that, but what I will say is now that we have it all, what, where do we, where are we going with Tyrell or is his main role in this story as opposition to Elliot at this point? Yeah, I think it's going to be a tug of war. And um, I I think that you are going to I think that we're going to see as we're as we're speculating here that Tyrell is going to not care for the Elliot that we care for. And that's going to cause all kinds of problems. Um, it seems at least right now that the Elliot he's dealing with is the Mr. Robot side of Elliot. But how is he going to reconcile those two? Like, how is he going to be OK with the fact that there are two personalities sharing this avatar that he has put so much of himself into? Um, so I think that that is that's going to be really the thrust of what's going on with Tyrell. And then I think that the the whole um, uh, the whole baby Wellick of it all that you point out is a really interesting idea that I frankly hadn't even really thought about until you mentioned uh, that that could be a possible direction that, of course, Santiago being crooked and being the guy who says the baby's going to social services uh, really does seem to point to the fact that Dark Army's got Tyrell's baby. So those are the two big things that I'm looking at with Tyrell. Uh, that, to me, would definitely put him in direct opposition uh, with Elliot and make him a direct antagonistic force on the show again. And maybe there are ways to like bring him into the right Elliot, you know, like make him somebody who is ultimately somehow simpatico with our Elliot and find a way to align those two characters again with no real possibility of a full redemption for Tyrell. I think he is way past that point, yep. but that doesn't mean there isn't some good that he could do. Uh, so I, I wonder where it will go with him ultimately. Like where will the show land with Tyrell? Will he like die a pathetic villain or will he, uh, you know, will he make it, to a point where he gets to be, um, you know, kind of like a, a I don't want to say a damaged hero is kind of the direction I'm going, but like something like that. Like, is that where we will end with with Tyrell or somebody who is like a more sympathetic villain, somebody who does one final good thing? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think that just really reinforcing uh, who Tyrell Wellick is and really giving us a Tyrell Wellick showcase is clearly an important priority for the writers' room, and we should pay attention to that. Like. 
the fact that Tyrell was absent for just about all of season two and is now back in this really, really big showcase of a way is a promise from the writers to the viewers that Tyrell Wellick really matters. And whatever is going to come from him in this story, it's going to be of seismic importance to Elliot. So can't wait to see what it is. No major predictions for what it's going to be. I'm pretty happily along for the ride at the moment. Um, anything else from this episode episode before we uh, turn the lights out on this one? No, you know, I love these character centric episodes. My favorite episode of the, the show that we loved podcasting about here at Post Show recaps the leftovers, I think still is it's a Matt, 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 Matt world about Reverend Matt Jameson. Uh, and Kelly Slayan had tweeted and said this Tyrell centric app is giving me Matt centric leftovers vibes. I, I agree with that, uh, especially just the vibes in general. But I like these character centric episodes of TV. I don't mind the deep dive. And I especially like it when it's a character I feel like the show feels is worth investing the time in. And I think what you just said about Tyrell is a good takeaway for me, that this is almost a promise from the show to the viewers that we feel this character is worth it. We feel that we we want to fill in these gaps with this character, and we feel the character, it will be worth it. Like, it will be important to have done this when we take the character forward. So I am interested to see where we go with Tyrell in light of the investment that's been made. I I certainly think from from a closing loophole standpoint i like a lot of the answers that we got we kept saying throughout the course of season two one of the things we need to know is what happened in the immediate aftermath of the hack like what happened and we still don't have all the answers about what happened with elliot in those three days but we now know specifically what happened with tyrell and i really like that talk that you had with Coradana, where they talked about how when they sat down and conceived of answering that question of what happened with tyrell that breaking this episode in general or breaking the ideas that led to this episode are what helped them create the character of Irving. Josh, are why Bobby Cannavale is in this show as that character. Maybe not why he specifically is in the show, but why the character is there. Because they realize, look, there's a lot going on. A lot that would have had to happen in the immediate aftermath. There probably would be like a fixer type character. And that's where this all started. So I like that they're having those conversations. I like knowing that this is the product of those conversations because it tells me they're thinking about the that their show is like an organic document as an evolving document and for a show that does circular storytelling that is doing what you described as pulling back and showing us different parts of the frame and really looking at things from a different perspective and continuing to do that uh, I, and I think there's so much potential for this show to do that as we talked about with what happened with Elliot when he was a kid and what was White Rose's ultimate plan and what, what was Edward Alderson's involvement and we can continue to pull that back and see more and more layers of that uh, and one of my big season two thoughts was that something would happen in season two and maybe in season three that would cause us to look at season one differently even though it's season one we haven't gotten there yet but i think we still could get there and for a show that that's that willing to be that kind of evolving and adapting show i, I like that the show is interested in making sure they're continuing to paint over lines that they left uncompleted previously so so I'm all about the Tyrell episode and I'm all about what they accomplished with this episode and not the least of which was because it was also 
brilliantly done. Great acting, great scoring, great soundtrack, uh, great shots. I mean, some of some of the shots that we saw in this episode, Josh, we've never seen on Mr. Robot. And we may never see again with these giant exteriors of these tiny people in these in the shadow of giant trees. Like I just we may never see these shots again on Mr. Robot. And I love that we got them. I love the helicopter shot. I love the shining tribute. I know I sound really excited, but I I just I don't understand how you could be out in this episode. I thought it was really, really great. I loved it, too. I was a fan, and I'm really excited to get back into the action with Elliot and everybody in next week's episode, but I was thrilled to spend some time with Tyrell Wellick. So you and I are on the same page, as usual, with this one. Makes for boring podcasting, but... Well, uh, I understand being frustrated about season two, but I don't think that's a reason to hold this this episode responsible. I think this episode should be evaluated on its own merits and on its merits for what it does for the story that we left, and I think on both of those accounts, it's uh, it's really a a really great piece of work, and Josh, I mean, that's three home runs as far as I'm concerned for the first three episodes of Mr. Robot season three. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm very, very happy with season three of Mr. Robot so far. I can't wait to see where it's going. Uh, it's It's been great. You know, no surprise there. I, I love the show and I, I think the show is doing really, really well this year so far. So really great work on oh, the Tyrell. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, uh, of course. Not about the episode, but something that happened during the episode. If you have, uh, and this is not a plug, I'm not an ad, uh, but if you have an Amazon enabled device in your home, which we have seen on Mr. Robot with Grace Gummer as DDP talking to Alexa in season two, if you you were watching this episode live one of the commercials was specifically designed to trigger alexa in your home and what it triggered was an app something that you can say alexa what's the, what's my give me what's my daily five nine and what your daily five nine is josh is it's an interactive choose your own adventure story game built in the world of mr robot that i played with for about two hours last night mm. you're essentially tasked with joining f society proving your worth to f society and you're given an operation where you're controlling someone's actions on a cell phone telling them what to do your operation is to break into uh philip Price's domicile or office and steal an important file and then get away and bring it to the arcade. And you have to take this person through New York City and through all the chaos uh, going on and try to navigate them in a safe way. And it's it's your test to prove that you're worthy of joining F Society. It's an app on Alexa. You can enable it that way. Similar to the app, Josh, that was on uh, iPhones and, and Androids last year, the Mr. Robot app that we talked about and we played around with that we both had a lot of fun with. Uh, this is another really fun interactive Mr. Robot experience that's out there. So if you've got an Amazon-enabled device, ask Alexa about your daily 5.9. That's cool. That's awesome. All right. Hot tip from Antonio Mazzaro to close out the podcast. Yeah, that's for the people who stuck around, Josh. I just want that's to remind them. That's, that's for, Mark. for Mark. That's for Mark, our favorite listener, Mark. B2B, B2B. All right, <laughs> let's close out here. We will be back next week with another episode of our Mr. Robot podcast here on Post Show Recaps in collaboration with THR. More interviews coming your way to THR. THR.com slash MRRobot. Bookmark it so you don't miss anything. And subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single episode of the Mr. Robot podcast. PostShowRecaps.com slash Robot, your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. We've got a lot going on here on Post Show Recaps right now. Walking Dead is back. We are in full swing with that. Jessica Lease with Rob Sesternino on the Sunday night live shows right after the episode. And I'm chiming in with Rob midweek on our Wednesday feedback shows. Winter was here. Our Game of Thrones rewatch project that is ongoing on Post Show Recaps as well. Posting on Tuesdays, Akiva Winokur and Rob Sesternino are recapping the latest season of Curb 
your enthusiasm. Star Trek Discovery, full steam ahead on that show as well here. I think we're going to get into a little tiny bit of Stranger Things as well in the not-too-distant future. Stranger Antonio. Danger. Stranger Danger. I believe danger. there's some Stranger Danger, so we will be talking about that show for a one-off podcast in the not-too-distant future. So lots of stuff, lots of shenanigans happening here. The beach on. towel recap is coming up. <laughs> yeah, uh, shenanigans. You're talking about that place with the stuff that hangs on the walls? You're talking about shenanigans, right? The mozzarella sticks? Yes, that's yeah. exactly the place that I'm talking about. So if you like our shenanigans here on Post Show Recaps, you can subscribe to everything at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes and specifically to our Mr. Robot feed at postshowrecaps.com slash robot. Anything else, Antonio? No, I think you covered it all very well, Josh. I miss you. I miss you too. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, friend. No, just kidding. There's got to be like a better way that we sign off than no, well. That's goodbye. it. Goodbye, friend. No, that's goodbye, it. Friend. All right. That's it. Goodbye, Mark. Goodbye, friend. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for listening all the way to the bitter end. We will be back next week with our episode four recap. Take care, everybody. Good night. Goodbye, friend.